You are listening to Rhodey Radio, Rhode Island Library Radio Online. When you're listening to Rhodey Radio, you know you're listening to something good. Hello, everyone. I am Dr. Therese Zink, a family physician living and working here in Rhode Island, and I like to write. In order to keep myself sane during the pandemic, I began collecting stories from other essential workers like myself to hear how they coped. My career started with AIDS and is now wrapping up with COVID, so I've been in medicine for more than 30 years. We've just come through a very tough year, and we see light at the end of the tunnel here in the U.S. and this summer, finally. But other countries are still struggling. As we look back, how did essential workers cope? Doctors and nurses put on their masks and other protective equipment day after day, especially when there was a shortage and you had to wear that dirty thing day after day. Would it protect you? How did you keep up with the changing CDC guidelines as we learned more about the new illness COVID? If you were in a in retail, how did you manage an angry customer, a customer who wouldn't wear a mask? How did you do your job and at the same time manage your kids who were virtually schooling at home? Did it work or didn't it? Did you get any sleep? If you were out in your van doing deliveries, where do you stop and use the bathroom if everything is closed? Can you get a cup of coffee? I was an English major way back when and write to make sense of life's unfairness. As a physician, it's both a privilege and burden to sit on the sidelines of people's lives, coaching and cheering, and sometimes crying. It's been a tough year. In COVID Chronicles, How Essential Workers Cope, I talked with essential workers from across the U.S., a few here in Rhode Island, and we're going to talk to some of those today to understand how they managed this crazy time and even thrived. You can download the introduction and table of contents for the Chronicles at my website, TheresaZink.com. That's Therese, T-H-E-R-E-S-E, Z as in zebra, I-N-K. The book COVID Chronicles is also available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, in Kindle and Nook formats. You can ask your library, too. Today, we are going to talk with three of the essential workers in the book, a school nurse, an internal medicine physician who was working in the ICU, and a bicycle shop worker, and a Rhode Island delivery person who I wanted to interview for the book, but he was too busy. But I've caught him for this show. Then I'll tell you a bit of my own story. So now we're talking with Susan. That's not her real name. She lives in the upper Midwest. She had her children and returned to school when her youngest started school and completed her degree in nursing. As a new nurse, you're usually relegated to the night shift in the hospital, which is not an easy task when you're in your 40s and you come home to your duties of being a mom and taxiing kids. After a few years, Susan decided to switch to being a school nurse better hours, home when her kids are home, so she thought. Then COVID hit. When I talked to Susan, she was just catching up on her school 
nurse role. Working from home was a whole new job. So Susan, how is it going? How is that zipper door? <laughs> well, the, the zipper door is kind of one of the kids' favorite things in the office. I think it looks a little bit like a, an astronaut cave. And uh, they, they, they all kind of want to be in there and say, no, you, you don't want to be in there because if you're in there, that means that you, you have symptoms of COVID and I have to isolate you. And, and then, so I let them go in there once in a while and check it out. But they, you know, it's this really cool feature in my office, this new zipper door. And, and uh, yeah, so sometimes if they notice that there's a kid in there, their eyes get really big and, oh, are they sick? And, yeah, but we don't need to worry because, you know, we're keeping everybody separate and safe and maybe they don't have it. And that's how I kind of leave it. And then they wave to each other through the through the zipper door. And, and um, so, yeah, it's a cool yeah. thing. <laughs> and we should probably just explain to listeners the reason Susan has a zipper door. She had no door in her office and it's hard to to isolate kids without a door. Uh, so she was uh, ingenious, as Susan is, and went to her local Lowe's and bought the zipper door, which, of course, is, as you heard, a great hit in a grade school. <laughs> now, when I was talking to Susan, she was juggling her job uh, and juggling being a mom, as, as many people have uh, and successfully and, and not always so successfully. This is a tough thing. Uh, and she uh, told me she was working on the Worst Mom Ever Award. Uh, Susan has teenagers, uh, and often they took her frustration out on her. So I wanted to ask Susan, how is she doing with that award? <laughs> well, my, my kids are the ones who elected me to this. So I, I wasn't initially going for it, but... Now I've talked to all these other moms and they are all in the same contest, apparently. So we're, we're told that quite a bit by our teenagers. You know, you're the worst mom ever. Then you just have to kind of swallow that and say, yep, I know, but I love you. So, <laughs> so, so do, you have any, do you have a good story to share with us related to your uh, latest travesty? <laughs> yeah, well... It, it was um, it was a crazy week in February. Um, it was very cold out, and my husband went on. Uh, he was traveling, and we decided that was okay for him to do. He went on this trip, and my oldest Elsie came home from basketball practice, and she said, "My my my friend is sick." And I said, well, "What what are her symptoms?" And she told me the symptoms. I said, "Oh my gosh, Elsie, you have to go right to your room and shut the door." And and so I put Elsie into isolation before this other kid was even um, had even been to get tested. And she went in and got tested. And it was a couple days later that she got the results that um, her friend was positive. But I had kept my daughter Elsie in isolation that entire time, bringing meals to her door, knocking on the door. I moved the other daughter to a different bathroom and to a different bedroom. And, um, and I, all this to say that I eventually tested my daughter between days five and seven of her last exposure. And sure enough, she was positive, but it became the trick. The entire reason why I did this was because I, I can't miss work right now. It is so nuts that, um, I, I had to keep her in isolation from me and the rest of the family. And cause I didn't want anybody else getting sick. So I, I was laughing cause I, I had to get her to the testing site and, I, I didn't know how to do that within it was 15 minutes within six feet. So 
I put an N95 on her. I put an N95 on me. It was in February. We drove with the windows down. I get her tested. I come back. I put her right back into isolation. And as I was making all these calls, um, when she did test positive, you know, I was getting calls from the, the Department of Health and from my managers, and and they were they were saying, well, you actually, Susan, you have to go into to quarantine yourself because you are identified as a close contact. So, well, I wasn't because I wasn't. I wasn't around my daughter when she was contagious. I said, well, how can that be? And I said, well, because I put her in isolation <laughs> way before her quarantine would have even started when she would have been contagious. And and they said, why Why would you do that? And I said, well, because I had to work. And um, and I just kept plowing through this. And my husband was calling and saying, do you need me to come home? I said, no, I'm handing out meds in the health office. I've got the phone to my ear. The Minnesota Department of Health is interviewing me, trying to identify close contacts. They put my other daughter in quarantine because they followed the rules of she is a household contact, but they didn't realize that, well, she has not been in actual six feet or 15 minutes of her. But so I have one kid in isolation, one in quarantine. I'm getting phone calls from, from home. Mom, you have to tell Sally, she has to bring me a glass of water or I'm coming out of my room. No, Elsie, you are not coming out of your room. Call Sally back. Sally, bring your sister a glass of water. Please don't forget to give her food. And I was just, I was just juggling all these things. It was just craziness in my health office. And my managers couldn't decide if they should let me work through it or if they should send me home because was it really, was I a household contact or was I a close contact? Like which, which, which thing are we going to follow? Which rules? And then one of the nurses that I talked to, one of my manager nurses, she said, you know what? I think I'm, I'm going to quarantine you. And I said, why? After we went through all this. And she said, because you need to go home and you need to be a mom. You have a sick kid. And she was, she was really sick. And I just burst into tears on the phone. I started crying because I I never thought of like, oh, I should go home and be a mom in all of this. And I, I just said, I, I made a deal with her. I said, if I am needed at home, I promise I'll go home. I just, right now I need to be here and I will figure it out, but trust me, I, I promise that I will, I promise I will check in with myself and make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm doing this right. So yeah, that was, but it was not, so my, my poor daughter was in isolation for way beyond the amount of days that she would have been. And, um, and we got through it and nobody else got COVID and now she's vaccinated. Woohoo. <laughs> Hooray. And a tough juggling act. You know, I think you uh, describe well with lots of parents are dealing with is that, you know, these are not easy uh, areas to to negotiate. Hopefully we've got some uh, some light at the end of our tunnel here. Uh, You know, one thing I learned in talking with you, Susan, is that you've just got a gift of humor and you're a good storyteller. Um, And and how do you do that? Where does that come from? Well, um, weirdly, I have a background in theater and so, and I have a pretty crazy family and I have just, we've always used humor to get us through every difficult, um, situation in life. And so, and you have to, you have to laugh and otherwise you'll, you'll cry and it's okay to cry sometimes. Sometimes I do that too, but you got to balance it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, anything you want to leave our listening audience with? Mm, you know, just like my biggest message right now is get vaccinated. Oh, I just like that's, that's it. And keep laughing and keep being kind to one another. Uh, Thank you, Susan. Yeah.
So now I have Dr. Anna with me. Uh, Dr. Anna is an internal medicine physician here in Rhode Island. And during the early days of COVID, she was in the intensive care unit, which, as we all know, was a pretty tough place to be. I'm uh, hoping uh, Dr. Anna might tell us a little bit about what that experience was like for her. Hi there. I'm happy to share. Working in the intensive care unit early in the pandemic was uh, a very tough time for me, especially given that I'm still in my training phase. It was unlike anything I had experienced. I had never worked the kind of hours that I worked when I was in the intensive care unit. And the other difference was that I had never seen so many patients close to my age hospitalized in the ICU. Primarily, we see you know older patients, patients with a lot of chronic diseases who end up in our hospital in the intensive care unit. And this was very different in that it was younger people, people without many health issues who were still all very critically ill. So that was a really tough thing to adjust to. And when we talked, Anna, when I interviewed you for the book, you really made a point of the importance of humor in order to show up every day and do what you need needed to do in the team as well. Can you tell me a little bit about that or, or tell me a funny story? Absolutely. I don't think there's any way that we could have made it through those tough months without being able to kind of laugh and joke to get through it. it you know, it, it would really drag down on you, I think, otherwise. Uh, we had a very, you know, fun group of individuals that I got to work with, which was a light spot in that time. And we did we did prank each other on occasion. You know, we still use pagers in the hospital. And so we would send funny messages, have people call numbers that they didn't expect to call, um, such as restaurants or other funny things in the middle of the day or the night, just to kind of lighten the mood. And uh, that you continue to carry with you uh, because, as we know, COVID is still very much with us. And I also remember that your cat got a lot of attention. Uh, you had a wonderful partner at home, but you also had a cat. And uh, spending some time with that cat was a way to uh, ki kind of ground yourself and uh, soothe yourself when you got home in the evening. So tell us the name of your cat and, and how is she doing? So my cat's name is Pixie, and she's doing great. Um, I think the pandemic was was actually very decent on her with the amount of time she got to spend with my partner and I. She was very pampered. Um, there's nothing quite as as lovely as coming home from a really hard day and sitting down on the couch and having your furry friend cuddle up to you. And so she was definitely a stress relief in that time for me. And um, she, I think, got a lot of attention. Uh, and you mentioned to me that you're doing kind of an, an interesting research month at this uh, point in your training. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing? Certainly. So I am working with one of the infectious disease doctors at Rhode Island Hospital, and we're studying the different outcomes in uh, transplant recipients who were infected with COVID as compared to people who don't have transplants. So it's been very fascinating to see how these immunocompromised individuals fared as compared to other people during the pandemic. And can you give us any glimpse in what you think you're finding at this point, or is it too early? Certainly. So, so far, actually, the good news is, is that most of the patients we've seen at Rhode Island have done about as well as the general population. Uh, but we have seen other studies from different centers who weren't quite as fortunate. And so we're kind of seeing why it might be that people here fared a little bit better than elsewhere. Yeah. So stay tuned. So before I let you go, is there any um, message you want to leave with our listeners? I, I think that the most important thing that I could leave with is, is please consider getting vaccinated. 
you know, just like during the heart of the pandemic, one of the hardest things in the hospital for us to see was people not taking mask mandates seriously. And now, as we seem to kind of be cresting another hill of the pandemic, and there's this light at the end of the tunnel in regards to vaccination, I can only tell you that, you know, we have seen the data, the numbers are promising, hundreds of millions of people have gotten the COVID shot and have done fine. And I would encourage everyone to seriously consider it. And if you have questions or concerns to talk to your doctors about it, because we'd love to have that conversation with you. Okay, Anna. Well, thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. So today we have with us Reed. Uh, Reed works in a bike shop, turns wrenches. Bike shops were deemed as essential services in Rhode Island during the pandemic. And Reed's been in bikes all of his 30 years. He managed marketing for some of the top bikes and traveled to China to help with Huffy bikes. You may have had a Huffy bike as a kid or your uh, children and grandchildren may have Huffy bikes now. As his career winds down, he didn't expect to be an essential worker in the bike shop. Uh, in our interview for the Chronicles, he told me bikes were like the new toilet paper in big demand. That made for some challenges. Customers had a hard time following the rules, like making an appointment online or wearing masks. More about that in my essay with Reed. Today, I wanted to get an update on bike sales and repairs. So how's it going today, Reed? We're over a year into the pandemic. Well, bicycles continue to be a very popular product. Uh, there are shortages of new bicycles and severe shortages of standard repair parts, tires, tubes, uh, replacement chains, gears, all the all the essential parts to keep bikes moving. Just because everybody, I believe a lot of people are using bicycles as their primary form of exercise because of gyms being closed and or now that they're starting to reopen, people have hesitancy to go back into the gym. A lot of people are using them for uh, transportation. And then children's bikes seem to be still particularly popular. I think that's part of, uh, as you know, children have been home a, a great deal and not been in, in school. You know, it's a form of recreation uh, when they're not uh, online in class. So it's still very tough. Um, it frustrates a lot of people. Uh, but I, I think that people have gotten used to uh, the fact that there are shortages of products in general, there's a lot of categories of products like bicycles where it's difficult to get stuff still. So what I'm hearing is the tension uh, of COVID is a little bit less uh, for, we've kind of gotten used to the routine, but that things are still in high demand. Yes, I, I, that's, I think that sums it up exactly. I, I think that people got very used to, and, and there was some sort of um, acknowledgement of the necessity of some of the measures we took, you know, limiting access in the store at first, uh, appointments, those types of things. And while uh, some of that is eased, everybody seems comfortable and uh, with wearing a mask and everyone seems, you know, we, we really have almost no one coming in anymore without a mask. So I, I think the frustration now is just largely limited to the fact that Things aren't normal, and and I think you know, frankly, in the foreseeable future, things aren't going to be normal. And who knows? In many ways, it'll be a new normal. So one of the challenges that you had that we talked about in the essay was uh, people not being willing to wear masks, and how how you still had to 
allow the customer to be right. So how are you managing your uh, frustration these days? Well, I continue to um, you know, uh, be fortunate in the place where I work. My uh, interaction with retail customers is, is, is greatly reduced. And I work in an area of the store where I don't have that um, interaction. I do interact with customers over the phone uh, to explain to them that as I repair their bike, that a part is worn out and we may or may not have the ability to get a replacement. Um, we have a, a stock of old bicycles out behind the store that we use to take parts off of. So sometimes I'm able to fix their bike with a used part from one of the donor bikes. But, th- you know, that's largely the frustration. But, you know, I can't help but get, you know, hear the frustration with customers on the sales floor as people help them. And, you know, they say they want a specific bike and we tell them that our our manufacturers are telling us that it'll be 2022 before that bike is available. I mean, sometimes people honestly are floored. Um, but again, I think because so many products there's there's a shortage of or a wait time for, it doesn't it doesn't create any you know, real tension, just mostly frustration and disappointment. So anything you want to leave our listeners with? Well, I, I, again, I think that the one thing that, um, you know, I, I certainly recognize and I hope others do too is, is, is that there's a continuing need to follow guidelines and to practice, you know, good social distancing, wear your mask, even for those of us who have uh, vaccinations, just out of courtesy at this point, as much as anything else until I don't know, we're past this. And then uh, some acceptance that even when we get past it, there'll be a new normal. And I, I have no crystal ball, so I can't predict what it is, but I, I'm I'm pretty certain it's going to be different. Well, I, I understand that you are one of those who has gotten your vaccine. So congratulations on that. And thanks for your time. Thank you. Good luck. So now I'm checking in with uh, R.K. Bentley, Rob, uh, who I tried to interview for COVID Chronicles, but he was so busy, I never caught up with him. So I am circling back now to see how he is doing as we are starting to open up again uh, and COVID winds down. Uh, Rob does deliveries, and he was literally one of those essential workers who kept the world running. Uh, during the COVID pandemic. So, uh, Rob, tell me a little bit about uh, exactly how busy you were uh, doing deliveries during the pandemic. Uh, okay, so so as for delivering, uh, I was working at least four days a week uh, from, say, 11 o'clock to, say, 7 o'clock at night, uh, and going up and down streets in, in Warwick and Cranston, uh, parts of Providence as well, and delivering roughly between 150 packages to to roughly about 200 packages uh, or stops a, a day. Wow, that's a lot. Are you yeah. still making that same number of deliveries, or have things slowed down a bit? Uh, things haven't slowed down. It's 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 been essentially uh, what happens in the delivery business is that with you have holidays come up such as Christmas. So what happens is that you have peak where you get 200 to 250 stops a day sometimes because of how many packages because people are, are obviously you know ordering things for Christmas and things like that so it's essentially been uh, peak since February of, of 2021 uh, as for the pandemic it was 
a little bit less. So it was, it was, it was somewhere around 150 stops uh, a day. So that, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't say that it was slow. I would say that, that it was busy enough. And I understand uh, you and I had had a conversation at one point that uh, you were so busy and, you know, finding places to get things to eat when you were on the road was a challenge that you actually lost some weight uh, during the pandemic. What I tell people is that when the delivery business, it's essentially a 10 hour gym workout. Uh, and so what's happening is that I've been doing about 12,000 steps a day, maybe more. Uh, I know recently I've gone up to almost 20,000 because of, you know, walking up, you know, walking from the truck to people's houses. Uh, some places those driveways are very short, uh, otherwise, or uh, sometimes the driveways are extremely long. And so depending on how, how, how well that goes, it can be, you know, it can, you can, you can lose a lot of weight. So I've, so yeah, I've, I've lost about 75 pounds. Wow. Probably better for your health, I'm hoping. Yes, it is, actually. Yeah. And I understand that you had a lazy boy that you had to deliver that added to uh, some of that stair workout. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Sure. What what happens is that we generally have uh, carts that have bags in them that we then have to put them into the truck. And so what happens is that with oversized items, uh, they go in their own trolley and then we load them into the back of the truck. Well, the, the lazy boy was a, a 50 pound lazy boy and it had its own, had its own dolly. And so we, so, uh, when I delivered it to the customer, the customer lived in an, uh, elevated house, uh, because of the, because of the grassy hill involved and had steps with no, dri- with no driveway and no, and no, no garage. And so myself and her, we, we had to, um, at that point then bring it up the steps. Uh, and then, and then inside her house because of the way the house was, uh, because of the steps and because of the weight. Wow. I bet you were sweating and breathing hard after that episode. A, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, a lot, a, a lot of times in, uh, in the beginning, it was, it was a lot of, you know, sweating and, and, you know, breathing. But then once, 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 uh, once your body starts getting used to it and once you, as, as long as you keep hydrated, uh, then it's after a while it gets, it, it gets better. Yeah, and I bet that was a, a big issue uh, during the summer months last year. Yeah, I was uh, I was probably drinking about ninety six ounces worth of water, and it was all not coming out to to, to put it politely. <laughs> so it's it's a, a lot of water, and it's and uh, a lot of warmth, and you know, sun. Um, and I I learned to make sure to uh, to to make sure to keep the sunblock handy as well. Wow. So, um, how did the company do as far as uh, keeping you safe? Giving you masks or cleaning equipment, uh, how did how did that go? Uh, the, the, what happened is that, is that the company gave us uh, gave us masks, uh, made sure that we wiped down the trucks, made sure we sprayed down the trucks, so we had all sorts of cleaning materials and things like that. They made sure uh, they had um, mops with soapy water and brooms and things like that. So they made sure that 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 every single time we we, we left the truck, we made sure we wiped down all the surfaces. And things like that, uh, and and just made sure that 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 we all stayed six feet apart uh, whenever we went into the warehouse. Uh, many of the warehouse delivered uh, warehouse employees uh, told us to make sure we stayed stayed six feet apart, uh, and so they 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 made sure we all stayed safe. And have they allowed you to ease up on that now that it's you know June twenty one? As as long as as long as you've had your shots. Uh, and as long as it's past, you know, uh, past your two weeks after getting your shots, yes, they've, they've, they've at this point eased up on the, the six feet apart. They've eased up on the masks, uh, even though, even though we're still cleaning down the trucks each night, uh, but, but, uh, they've, uh, they've eased off on, on the masks at least. So as a healthcare worker, I can virtually pat you on the back for getting your vaccines, uh, and encourage everybody else to do the same. 
So thank you, Rob. Uh, sure. So the other thing I'm talking with uh, all of the the people I interviewed about is how they coped, how they stayed sane. Um, I know you did a lot of Netflix, but I also know you're a writer. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you're what you write and what you're working on these days? Sure. Right, right, right now, I'm um, I'm a sci-fi author, uh, so I've been writing working on my second book uh, called when, when Writers Crossly, uh, which is a sequel to Where Weavers Dare. And uh, what happened is during the pandemic, uh, I was uh, I uh, I have a writing group on, on the side, and we were meeting at the Ward Public Library up until just about when all this started. Uh, I think our last meeting was February of last year, or maybe even March. Uh, but then after that, once once uh, once March or April came around, uh, the, the library shut down, obviously for obvious reasons. Uh, and so we then moved all of our writing stuff to to Zoom instead. Uh, and from there, we kind of just eased off on that completely. I'm generally an introvert, so so you know, keep, keeping to myself or staying home is you know feels normal to me. Uh, but after a while, um, staying home that long, you, you kind of get you know cabin fever just kind of sets in after a while, and so. You try and find a place where you can write, where you can take your mind off of it. And uh, good news is that 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 some of the coffee places around here were, were still open, so we managed to get some writing in. I'm still working on the the, the book right now, which will probably be out uh, towards the end of 2021. And if people want to uh, look you up, can you give us your uh, your author name and your website? Sure. Uh, my author author name is R. R. K. Bentley, and you can find me at rkbwrites.com. That's w r i t e s dot com. And I'm R.K. Bentley pretty much everywhere, Twitter, Facebook, uh, as, as well as if you type in that into any of the, you know, either Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Nook, um, the, the book's available wide everywhere. Uh, so you can easily find it anywhere. And so you were kind of living your own sci-fi adventure this last year as a, uh, as a delivery uh, person during this uh, uh, once-in-a-century pandemic. <laughs> so Yeah, the, 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 the funny thing is that with delivering, and driving up to someone's house and you're you know trying to find which door to go to and all of a sudden you're seeing their car in the driveway with all the doors open and the hatchback open and you're like okay did you forget to close all the doors did the baby have to go to the bathroom or is this really an apocalypse with zombies because the, the way the car is parked i mean there there's you know you know because of the amount of cars you know because of either driveways are already full or you have relatives staying with you the the way the car you know cars are parked sometimes these days you're looking at it sideways like okay are you okay or did you actually want mean to do that <laughs> so it's yeah so it was it was you know del delivering during the pandemic was an eye opening experience and it sounds like you got some ideas for some further development in your in your stories so uh, with that we will uh, thank Rob for finding the time to talk to me uh, as I said in the beginning he's not a healthcare worker. But there were many people who weren't in healthcare who were essential workers to keep the the world running, and uh, a lot of delivery people were delivering essential things uh, to uh, people who couldn't get out, didn't want to go out, and some of that were the basics such as uh, food. So, Rob, thanks for thanks for all your all you've done and all you continue to do, and congrats on on getting your vaccine. Thanks. Threaded through the COVID chronicles is my own story. In the beginning, my boss asked me to do telehealth visits from home. The office was essentially closed. At first, I called patients to give them their COVID test results. There were a lot of positives, 
The population for the clinic is largely Spanish-speaking, living in a densely populated area in Providence, so lots of tests were positives. I had lots of explaining to do, and I quickly realized how hard it was to do what the CDC was asking. How do you isolate in an apartment with three rooms and one bathroom when six people are living there? How do you feed your family when you are supposed to isolate? How do you help your kids do virtual school when you're the one who's COVID positive? I was exhausted after a shift. It all became very personal, however, when my mother and sister, living in a long-term care facility, contracted COVID. I was suddenly walking with a foot in two different worlds, caring for patients and watching helplessly how the nursing home and assisted living were trying to care for my mom and sister. Long-term care had worked for my family because we were there to advocate. We could make sure my sister got a shower and that her room was straightened and that she put her laundry away and we could fix the voicemail on my mother's phone. Luckily, both survived COVID, which is pretty amazing. At 90 and 58, they had minimal symptoms. And so when it was all over, they wondered what all the to-do was about, but didn't understand why we couldn't come in and hug them. My mom wanted to get her hair cut. But like families across the U.S. who had loved ones in long-term care, this was the norm. Lots of people were suffering. Lots of people were frustrated. And the lack of contact added to the confusion both my mother and my sister have. You might see them through the window, but their room had to be on the first floor. We stood in the courtyard and talked on our cell phones to my sister because you had to keep the window glass closed. But my mom was on the third floor, so we'd stand in the garden and she would be on her landline looking out the window. We could see her hair and uh, face just above uh, the window line. Neither one really ever understood what was going on and why they couldn't go outside. Unfortunately, both had May birthdays, which meant they had to celebrate alone. Without us, no visitors. It was hard, and they didn't really understand. We tried to Skype to talk with my mom, but she always forgot to wear her hearing aids, so you can imagine how that went. She had a cell phone, so we tried FaceTime, but when she lost her cell phone, that became impossible. Fran loves chocolate, so I sent chocolate cupcakes to Fran with purple icing, her favorite color. But she couldn't understand why she didn't get a cake. Somehow cupcakes just didn't count. We did our best, as did many families. It was far from perfect. My sisters and I were furious because administration wasn't keeping my family members safe. And I'd see staff with masks on their chins when we Skyped or did FaceTime. It was a nightmare. We had to negotiate. The old adage, more flies with honey than vinegar. We needed to advocate. My sisters and I needed to work together. Staff cared, but they were really too busy running from one patient to another. So writing helped me make sense of it all. My story and those I interviewed in COVID Chronicles are not Pollyanna stories. These are not platitudes. It's about how you find the grit to put on your PPE and care for patients. How do you keep up with changing guidelines from the CDC? 
How do you manage an angry customer who won't wear a mask because the customer is always right? How do you stay pleasant when you're carrying a lazy boy into the recipient's house, 50 pounds up two flights of stairs? Each of the essential workers I interviewed in COVID Chronicles found their own solutions. Well, thanks for listening. I'd like to encourage you to get your COVID vaccine if you haven't already. You can go to the Rhode Island Department of Health website to find out where to go near you. I've included it in the show notes. Thanks to the essential workers who agreed to be interviewed, Susan, Reed, and Dr. Anna. It was fun to check in with them again and get an update almost a year later. And thanks to Rob, who was too busy when I was writing my book, but he slowed down enough that I was able to talk with him now and hear how things have been going for delivery workers. And thanks to all the essential workers who kept the world moving forward. I also want to thank Dave Bartos and his team at the Cranston Public Library who helped me put this show together. Finally, I want to thank the physicians and researchers in Palestine. I was on a Fulbright in Palestine when COVID broke. And I want to thank the physicians and researchers that I was working with. They responded to a report of a physician walking out of the clinic when a patient showed up with a cough. These smart physicians realized there was a problem, and they created a study to better understand how to support essential workers in Palestine. I brought that idea home with me and started looking into how essential workers were coping here in Rhode Island and in the U.S. New Roadie Radio episodes are released every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Each week is a new voice from your neighbors around the state. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Roadie Radio on Twitter, at Roadie Radio, or on Facebook, at Roadie Radio Online. Look at the show notes for more information on the book, I also have a healthcare blog, which you can sign up for. And I want to remind you that COVID Chronicles, How Essential Workers Cope, is available in ebook and paper format in all the usual places. You can ask the library too. And be sure and get your vaccine. Rhodey Radio is a project of the Rhode Island Office of Library and Information Services and is supported through a grant from the Rhode Island Council for the Humanities. Thanks for listening.